y'all. It's Nacho Giant Women, a Steven Universe deep dive podcast. Ivy and Daria are here again, and today we will be watching and discussing episode seven, Bubble Buddies. I always see people bringing up SpongeBob in reference to this title. I guess there's a character on SpongeBob named Bubble Buddy, and I don't watch SpongeBob. I don't Me know if neither. you do. <laughs> no. No, I've seen bits here and there, but I don't know who Bubble Buddy is. You know, people keep telling me how great SpongeBob is, and I see the memes all the time. And one of my best friends told me, you know, the movie is fantastic and all of that stuff. So, and I have, I don't even know what like their voices sound like. I've, I've been exposed so little. I think I'm being deprived, but that's not the cartoon we're talking about today. No. <laughs> Remains to be seen if, you know, if we're going to do some SpongeBob <laughs> podcast in the distant future. <laughs> <laughs> I have to find a veteran SpongeBob SquarePants fan to guide us through. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, so any initial thoughts based on the Bubble Buddies title? Uh, well, it's fairly opaque. I'm imagining s- some kind of bubble being created. <laughs> Just because of the nature of the show, I'm thinking of a large scale bubble, not simply blowing bubbles, but we've been caught mm-hmm. out on this sort of thing before. So who knows? Well, I guess we should watch and find out. Okay, and here I go to watch season one, episode seven, Bubble Buddies. We are the crystal gems, we'll always save the day. And if you think we <sighs> How sweet. Ah, Stephen has made a friend. Yes. Okay, let's try my recap. See how we go with this one? Yes. Stephen has, as the gems note, a bike, complete with helmet. Very good for young watchers to see that. Yes. (laughs) There have been a series of seismic activities lately. The gems think this isn't natural. However, Stephen knows little of this as he is trying to ride the bike along the beach, which goes about as well as you'd think. (laughs) And he wants to impress a girl he knows who doesn't know him. And those of us who have been watching recognize her as the girl who is passed in the title sequence and holds her hat on. This girl is Connie. Stephen tries to talk up his bike to Connie, who simply doesn't notice as he talks to himself about the capabilities of his velocipede. (laughs) She notices as he falls off the bike, though, and notices all the more when one of the little earthquakes threatens to drop a rock upon her. Stephen... Oh, actually, but sorry, I've concatenated two scenes because between this, Stephen goes back to the treehouse and informs the gem of who Connie is and isn't to him. Pearl wants to set up a play date. Amethyst teases him about liking him. Garnet, probably wisely, simply counsels simply to talk to her. Stephen says he will, but asks the gem not to watch because this will mess up his, quote, funky flow. He grabs something from the freezer, goes back out to where he saw Connie, and this is where we catch up my earlier description of the seismic activity and the rock almost falling on her. Stephen dives upon her trying to save her, and as he does, his gem flares up and a bubble forms around them both in the rose colour of his gem. This protects them from the falling rock, but they soon discover they are stuck in the bubble. Stephen has no luck trying to collapse the bubble, As they get to know each other, Stephen tries to roll back home to get the gems, the other gems, for he is very much talking up that he is a member of the Crystal Gems to Connie, to try to get the gems to fix things, but they can't roll up the slope through, they can't push the bubble, they're pushing it from within to roll it, they can't get it up the slope to 
home and the gems can't hear their calls from that distance. And of course, they're not watching because Stephen asked them not to, lest his funky flow be messed up. Connie advises simply waiting for the gems to emerge. Another person who is, again, not particularly taken aback with Stephen being magic or half magic, is more simply concerned about being in the bubble. Uh, She's also not particularly annoyed at Stephen, I guess, because he did save her life in putting her in the bubble in the first place. Mm -hmm. Their first stop is back at Big Donut, where Lars and his colleague, whom we now know is called Sadie, try to hit the bubble and break it. It doesn't work. Lars is relentlessly teasing Stephen, asking if this is his love bubble formed out of love. (laughs) Sadie tries to get him to lay off. After a few more attempts to break the bubble, Sadie and Lars depend into arguing. Connie asks if Lars and Sadie get along, and Stephen says that they're crazy about each other. (laughs) I say, I don't know if this is the TV trope of people arguing because they're crazy about each other, or if Stephen is still getting a grasp on how people work. It could be both. (laughs) Stephen has another idea of heading to the local amusement park because horrible accidents happen there every day. (laughs) No such accident, including his elaborate plan to have the bubble destroyed while they're halfway up a roller coaster, works. They end up heading to the docks where they meet a small troll child worker person called Onion, (laughs) who simply watches them while eating popcorn. Stephen asks Onion for help. Onion doesn't seem to hear what he's saying, possibly because Onion also has no ears. (laughs) Stephen wants Onion to use the harpoon gun. He tries breathing and drawing a diagram in his fogged up breath on the outside of the bubble. Connie tries this in a much more straightforward way by simply writing harpoon gun in the fog. Onion understands this, shoots the bubble with the harpoon gun, And this does not work, but it sinks a nearby boat. Uh, Connie, by the way, knows a lot about boats because she hangs out by the beach, cannot swim and has no friends. Mm. I may have slightly scrambled events here because they end up in their bubble in the ocean, at the bottom of the ocean, because the bubble in fact sinks, which surprised me a little, but there it goes. Connie is distraught that she will suffocate or starve at the bottom of the ocean and no one will care but her parents because she has no friends and no one else who loves her. Stephen notes that he is her friend by offering her what we saw him take from the freezer, which is a glow bracelet from a parade the previous year. She lost it during the parade and disappeared into the crowd before Stephen could return it to her. Stephen, by the way, was on a float for the car wash, dressed as a scrub brush with soap bubbles in his hair. Mm -hmm. They see an enormous sea creature nearby that consumes glowing things, as it first just chows down on some small glowing somethings nearby. The bubble eventually dissolves, possibly of its own accord, allowing Stephen and Connie to float to the surface. However, the worm creature... Two chase after them, and the splash from the worm creature deposits them on the beach, but now it is attacking them. We also notice the worm has some kind of gem crystal inside its mouth. As the giant worm chases them, Stephen realizes that as it wanted to eat the bright things under the water, it is chasing Connie's bracelet. He takes the bracelet back from her, letting her run away, while he leads it on an elaborate run through the legs of the pier, which first ties it in a knot and then has the pier collapsed on it as it strains against the legs and breaks them, and it is squashed. The crystal gems arrive and see that Stephen has got himself into trouble. While they turn to him, Garnet goes to the remains of the worm monster, and even though this is in the background, we do see her pick up another glowing gem token from what was left of the worm. Connie has apparently been having a good time today, even though she nearly died. She didn't. 
Stems start to talk to Connie about how Stephen has been saying he liked her. However, Garnet approaches, grabs the other two and advises them not to mess up his funky flow. And then we star out to credits. Very nice. <laughs> so much lighter than all the horror of last week's episode and the one before it. I agree. And the introduction of Connie is very welcome at this point because I felt like, you know, especially the way Stephen really wanted to connect with her and stuff, you get this feeling like he just doesn't have any people his own age who are like human people that and he wants to be able to have friends too, just like Connie seems to. So I really like that element of introducing her at this point. Yeah, the closest we've seen otherwise to people his own age have been the donut pair, and they're A, probably older, and B, acquaintances best. Yeah, I figure that the kid who works in the fry shop, Petey, is probably about Stephen's age, but he's always working, so (laughs) they don't really get to hang out. Yeah, another one, the barrier of work he's getting too close to. Mm -hmm. And Onion, who wants to hang out with Onion? whoever or whatever Onion is spending their life wandering back and forth on the dock eating popcorn. It's a very strange character, eh? (laughs) So we got Connie and we got Onion in this episode. (laughs) I like Connie so far. It would have been a bit of a cliche for her to be angry at Stephen all the time they were trapped in a bubble, but she was mostly angry when she thought she was going to die and didn't particularly blame Stephen for that. Yeah, she seemed like a um, pretty, you know pragmatic and patient person. She's a good down-to-earth sort of anchor for someone like Stephen. Oh, definitely. Uh, You know, this isn't going to work, or why don't we just do this thing that makes a lot more sense, or what are we going to do when the bubble pops? Then we'll be free. You'll be on the roller coaster. Yeah. (laughs) Just, you know, so it seems like if she's around, maybe he can get some good reality checks but you know like you said she also doesn't seem to be particularly put off by the magic she's just like oh okay (laughs) my uh oh you're you're related to these uh magic creatures my dad's a security guard you know just (laughs) that's the same (laughs) yeah of course it is (laughs) it's so cute Mm. i also like that okay so it's a little bit early in these children's apparent lives to be looking at them like they're a television romantic couple or anything, but they do tend to have little crushes and stuff like that on TV shows, even at the age that they're portrayed to be. And I really like that sort of the little boy likes a little girl sort of situation. It shouldn't be such a big deal in today's world, but I like that it isn't another little white girl. It's kind of cool to see that. Yes, yes. Good point. Yeah. In fact, I like Connie's design overall, the, the mm-hmm. big glasses and uh, everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it is almost in some ways like they took some polar opposites of Stephen. He's chubby. She's thin. He's mm-hmm. enthusiastic. She's practical and bookish. He doesn't have glasses. She does. He's got mm-hmm. light skin. She's got dark. So mm-hmm. we're getting some contrasting yeah. couple business going on here. Yeah. I don't know if they become a couple, but I think even those of us with no romantic inclinations whatsoever have had those right. times where we've tried to impress someone and it's just fallen flat. Oh, God. Yeah, that's extremely relatable. He's just trying to get on the bike and impress her. And then, of course, when she's looking, it's when he's falling off the bike. <laughs> and it's a very little boy thing expecting someone to just be impressed by yeah. the features of a bike. Right. You want you want the person to take notice that you have this cool toy and you know, you maybe you'll let her ride it and that'll definitely get the conversation started. That'll definitely forge some kind of common ground between you two. 
Yeah, it's it's cute. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that she also didn't seem to be too worried about, um, you know, what was gonna what was gonna happen to her until it really seemed to be like very scary. And I appreciated that she actually did yell at him when it finally wasn't okay. <laughs> like, look, you're putting my life in danger. It's not okay. You keep saying that. Yeah, we're, we're at the bottom of the ocean in a hole beyond that. And your mm-hmm. blase, it'll be cool attitude might not save us. And then the bubble just kind of pops up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lars, of all people, starts talking about it as the love bubble. Yep. Making me notice last time Stephen's gem went off, it was because he was enthusing about Cookie Cat and mm-hmm. another kind of love. So is there love mm-hmm. and similar emotions tied up in activating his gem? Guess so. Um, at least at this point, it seems that he isn't entirely sure what triggers it. So um, it was a cool design too when the bubble came out and it had that cool like rose animation on the top of it. it ah, cool. yeah, I liked that. The petals folding up to the sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, this also is pink, like his other power. Yeah. So that's pretty nice. Lars shouldn't have been licking it. It's been all over the ground. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> and, Lars, doesn't, um, Lars doesn't strike me as someone who's going to let hygiene stand in the way of a good insult. Yeah. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. And as you mentioned, we did get uh, Sadie's name drop. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting question to be like, okay, um, is Steven just naively interpreting their relationship as something that it isn't or is he actually aware of something that the rest of us don't see you know like does he just know that they have affection for each other so yeah but like he says i like everyone (laughs) that was an adorable scene when he came back in the house and all the gems were watching and each of them had kind of their own reaction like, you know, Amethyst's teasing him and Pearl's like, let's set up a play date. She wants to get all involved. Mm-hmm. And then Garnet's just like, no, go talk to her. As soon as he mentioned the funky flow, I thought that's <laughs> going to be repeated in Garnet's voice before the episode is out and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Did you? I'm so glad you were right because that was amazing. <laughs> Don't mess with his funky flow. And she's dead serious. <laughs> she picks them up by the scruffs of their necks like they're cats. <laughs> That was funny. Walks off with them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I guess they just didn't realize that they were embarrassing him. And that may be a gem human thing, or it may just be an ostensible adult to child thing. I think I've seen many, many a parent, many a parent responding to their children's first um, inclinations toward relationships of any kind. as this, uh, especially with Pearl being sort of overbearing, like, oh, he was so excited to meet you. <laughs> ah, in fact, I saw one of my friends who's a parent doing it to their kid just the other day. And Did you? And her seven-year-old kid was just collapsing in embarrassment. No. Yeah. Well, kids will always find their parents kind of uh, embarrassing in general. Like, even when they're not behaving in any unusually embarrassing way, they'll, they'll be embarrassed by their very presence. Yeah, and while not the traditional model, the gems are Stephen's parents to a degree, mm-hmm. yeah. or to varying degrees each. You'd probably, if you were being a bit traditional, you'd think of Amethyst as the, the cool aunt you occasionally have to rein in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's definitely been around town with her. We haven't really seen Garnet out and about yet, but we saw Pearl and Frybo 
And we saw Amethyst at the fry shop with him in episode two. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know their background, but I get the feeling Amethyst at least is quite happy to just go into town and partake of things like French fries and movies Probably. and whatever else. I wouldn't be half surprised at all to find her inside of a trash can. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's lunch. (laughs) If this was an older demographic, they'd probably be having to bail her out occasionally for getting into pub fights. Mm, Yeah. Yep. I really liked um, after Stephen was uh, going back out to try again that he was practicing his name, like, until it just... You ever get one of those situations where you're, you're reciting something or practicing something so much that the word just stops sounding like a word. <laughs> yeah. If you think about a word too hard, it just goes, what, what is this? Look, yep. what, how, how do these letters and sounds have a meaning? Yep. And Steven's like, my name's Devin. <laughs> it also oh, reminds me of a bit of a joke we have in theatre about people with sort of single lines they just have to do and sort of over-rehearsing them and putting the emphasis in all kinds of strange places. And he's like, my name is Stephen. My name is Steven, etc. Yes. <laughs> Poor baby. And he has to say it a couple more times, even after he's met her, just to get it out of his system, I guess. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Um, another thing that I thought was cool was when he drew the picture for Onion and Onion had no idea what he meant. And then Connie drew, just wrote the letters. So uh, if you want a shortcut to understanding who she is, she's just like, it made more sense. <laughs> It's it's practical. It's pragmatic. Yes, I appreciate that. And I, uh, another thing that was, um, I guess, uh, it was, um, hmm, I'm not really sure what to make of it, except that this is a thing that happened, is that after Stephen asked the gems not to watch, they clearly were not just spying on him anyway. Like, they were not watching, because they didn't come to help him. And um, I don't know if it's because they were off somewhere doing a mission, but they made good on that promise not to watch. So that was kind of, I don't know, that's uh, that's some trust there. Yeah. yeah. They may have had to go and look further into the seismic things, but mm-hmm. yeah. Most I, likely, can, yeah. I can imagine Garnet Amethyst trying to watch despite being told not to, especially Amethyst, but we've seen that <laughs> Garnet does not want funky flow disrupted. So yes. they may have peeked out the window and she pulled them back again. <laughs> Agreed. Hmm. She might think it's like observer effect. Mm-hmm. All of Stephen's ideas for getting out of the bubble were horrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he already <laughs> knows how strong the bubble is because a rock fell on it. So, <laughs> I mean, you can forgive Sadie for coming over and trying to break it with a chair, but, you know, she didn't know. She didn't see it block a rock. But, um, you know, I guess uh, you don't know what's going to cause it to evaporate because it just evaporated under the water i was worried like i didn't know how far down they were so i was just thinking oh well these children are about to get the bends you know <laughs> if they can even make it to the surface well yeah and or they're just going to be squashed by pressure depending depending how far yeah up they are. yeah it must not have been too deep either that or cartoon physics a bit um, of both we did see them just flung back onto shore and it wasn't very far mm-hmm. so yeah it couldn't have been too deep um except for that one trench that it got he they fell even farther down there but, um, you know, once you're loose in the water, that doesn't make that much of a difference. You just can't roll out of there. So I guess that it must have been pretty uh, pretty dense, like whatever it was made out of, because air inside of it should have made it float. But That was my thought, too. I expected it to float and the problem being floating away, not sinking. But mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so maybe it I was guess, heavy glass or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess, again, whatever it is, sort of solid magic or whatever, it does need to be pretty dense if it's protecting people from rocks and harpoon guns. And Gosh. Less harpoon. so from stools, but... Yes. <laughs> mm. and so. I like how the other boat just kind of sinks after getting hit with the harpoon. And again, yep. this is just a thing that happens because we're just kind of getting accustomed to collateral damage in Beach City. Yeah, they probably have insurance, like that they have to maintain a certain level of insurance to even enter the city. <laughs> oh, that amusement park that's near his house, we've kind of seen it before because the Funland Arcade was where they rode the jellyfish and stuff like that. The arcade is part of Funland, but I think they are separate. So I don't know how far apart they are, but that's all Funland. <laughs> And someone's got a cat thing going because I noticed the ride was cat themed. Yep. Yeah. So cookie cat, cat roller coasters. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised we're going to see this motif again. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of cats on stuff. Surprise. They had this, uh, the monster was eating bright stuff. And um, it made me think like the last time that we saw monsters, like that monster wanted to eat the the little crystal shrimp or eating and I'm like, wow, they all just like want to eat food, <laughs> like feral animals. Yeah, well, we have those animals. They haven't seemed too bright so far. And they were nice and subtle with it having a, a gem in its mouth and Garnet collecting it or collecting its essence or whatever it is just kind of in the background. So they're very much setting setting that up for us about Garnet saying, I'm going to collect this gem now because that is what I do when I defeat something because we need this for whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you didn't point it out in your review, I would have pointed out, you know, there she goes again. <laughs> I'm becoming intrigued by the, the gem ecosystem, if you will. Mm. There's obviously, I have no idea how it'll work, but there are gem-based people and gem-based Animals of varying size and sorts. So. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you wonder, like, how did this giant worm get into the sea? And what is it doing there? And how many of these things are there? And where are they coming from? And, you know, what's going on? Maybe it got, that maybe it got splashed in there. They went to fight. <laughs> maybe it got splashed when it was little and no one noticed. And it just chowed down on bright things until it became huge. <laughs> one never knows. Oh, let's see. What else did I notice? I thought it was really cute that he, uh, Stephen, kept Connie's bracelet for her. Yeah. It's very thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know that sticking those things in the freezer made them last, so I, I don't know anything about glow sticks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, supposedly, if you if you freeze them, they will last longer, but I don't think they would last a year, honestly. <laughs> oh, well, magic gem freezer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's one explanation. At some point, they defeated a gem freezer monster and have just utilized its body for keeping their food in. Yeah. Uh, very little of the gems this week, in fact. Not, yeah, of, not that much. They were background. It's uh, It was all foreground with Stephen and a relationship with a uh, new human. Um, I guess, uh, speaking of which, I'm formulating a probing question for you. Um, Excellent. I love these. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, so we're, we're talking about, um, relationships earlier about, um, how it might, you know, they're obviously kind of trying to make a sweet little, uh, crush situation maybe with mm-hmm. Steven crushing on, on Connie. Um, but you know, 
speculation on what kind of relationship that will be feels a little icky to be like, oh, are we shipping children? I don't know. So it, it, at least it's premature to, to say, you know, do we want them to get together? So I'd rather uh, talk about older people. Uh, what do you personally kind of think about what the relationship might be like between Lars and Sadie? Oh, partly going on television rules, I would say <laughs> they like each other more than they seem to on the surface. Uh, I mean, they do spend all day every day together and have not murdered each other. So there's got to be something going for them. <laughs> they have not murdered each other. You're right. <laughs> they are still alive. Yeah, well, if you had to stand next to Lars all day, you know, you'd, your thoughts would start to go there. Even if it's just in the break room drifting off to imagine if something fell on Lars. But uh, I think they might not be consciously aware of how much they like each other. And that's that's a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. They're certainly complementary as a pair and they do work together literally and metaphorically. That's true. And there's a bit of, there could be some opposites to track because Sadie's like, oh, be nice. And Lars like, oh, what's the best insult I can come up with? Mm-hmm. And claiming that his harassment is actually that he's helping Stephen on his date. Mm. Which could also just be because Lars is kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions about Lars at this point, at least, can be answered with that, I feel. Yeah, he's just a jerk. Unfortunately, there is a lot of in the real world and also in media, there's a lot of you know guys misbehaving and just being, in general, uh, terrible people. And then girls and women putting up with it. Um, always tolerating it, trying to better the other person, trying to fix them, uh, you know, and uh, it's unfortunate that there's there's so much of that where, uh, you know, that uh, women will put up with a lot of crap from from guys just to be in some kind of relationship or just because of how we're socialized that we're supposed to put up with crap uh, yeah, and I not mean, cause any, yeah, any mean, waves. It could be, we don't know how deep any of their feelings run. It could mm-hmm. be that they like each other, but bicker, but portraying that does occasionally leak into the real world of, you know, harassing someone is a way to show you like them. And the best way to respond to that is to like the person back, which has mm-hmm. incredibly unfortunate knock-on effects. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that yeah. said, even though I initially described it as a TV thing that happens, this show has so far subverted a fair few tropes and cliches in that regard so it could be going somewhere else i'm also where we haven't seen that much of them outside of their capacity as donut sellers that is true Uh, we Um, know little else besides they sell donuts one is nicer to steven than the other and lars doesn't like fries so we mm -hmm. haven't got a full personality template to be working with yet so we keep an eye on them i think yep I guess uh, just based on uh, bouncing off of what you said about teasing somebody or harassing them is sometimes like supposed to be a sign that the guy likes you. I at least have not seen him kind of direct his ire at her. It seems like he just does it around her, but he's not being mean to her. He's just being mean to Steven. But it seems like I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But so far, it's kind of like I could see why Steven would think, oh, they like each other, is that he's not saying anything negative to her and she's just tolerating it or assuming it means the opposite or anything. So at least it's not that, but. (laughs) He may also think that they must like each other if they're together all day. Right. (laughs) Or that everybody is like him and everybody likes everyone. Yeah, we saw them bickering 
in today's episode, but we couldn't hear what they were saying for most of it. So we, mm. while it's not great, we can't be sure how serious it was, if it was really just about how bad they thought each other's ideas were or if they were seriously laying into each other. Right. Neither of, neither of which are great, but obviously represent very different things in a deeper analysis. Yeah. Hmm. Ah. Anything else you want to discuss episode-wise, plot-wise, character-wise, or should we move into the other elements of our podcast? <laughs> I think the key thing I'm going to watch from now on is when and if Stephen has any more gem incidents, how they're connected to his feelings at the time of some kind of ah. love. I mean, obviously one's love for ice cream sandwiches is different from <laughs> one's love for a person, but there's still kinds of love, and Stephen is very much a... A creature of vivid emotions, so yes, he possibly has some degree of overlap in how he feels to each reaction. Mm -hmm. He is both A, young, and B, Stephen, so that's going to yes. have a bit of an effect on how those emotions work with him, if they indeed are working with his gem. And there could be something of a growing up slash puberty metaphor with the gem, but we haven't really seen enough to lean on that other than just kind of guessing at his age. Yeah. Yeah, the coming-of-age narrative is uh, sometimes linked to growing up or more specifically to puberty, but not always. Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's going to be interesting just to see what, what you think every time something happens, like how you're going to connect the dots on that. It's going to be fun to follow you. <laughs> mm. I mean, one thing, I guess, which has already been dispensed with now, way back at the start of the series, I thought that the whole thing might be that his gem never works until some big moment in a final episode. But obviously, mm -hmm. we're not in that territory. Mm -hmm. So it's more things are unpredictable. Yeah, and still working itself out. Mm -hmm. I think it's notable if we can slide all the way back to the first episode in, in Gem Glow that when his shield came out, Pearl looked surprised and said, oh, Stephen, it's a shield. You could tell from that that she was not entirely sure what was going to come out of him. Like <laughs> she doesn't know what to tell him, what to expect necessarily. And I mean, it could be that uh, they're not used to dealing with a hybrid, but it could just be, you know, they don't know what to expect from him. They don't know what to tell him about his powers either. So it's all like they know how it works for them, but it doesn't necessarily work the same for him and he could end up with cat fingers. <laughs> yeah. So both of his gem manifestations have been protective things. We've seen the shield and the, the force bubble shield protective mm -hmm. things. So is that a theme? And as you say, is this something sort of genetic that you sort of get what the gem power lottery gives to you or is it somehow based on one's emotion slash soul slash whatever? Mm -hmm. Gemetics. Oh, I like that. Okay, we're going with that. <laughs> uh, well, we have a couple of categories that are more or less not applicable this week. Again, no song. You're kind of glad of... they didn't launch to a song at the bottom of the ocean. Would have yeah. been a bit much. <laughs> yeah, I think we can do without that. Um, as, as mentioned in a previous episode, there are, uh, there are usually certain instruments that are associated with characters and with uh, Connie's introduction, we did get a cool little instrumental piece called Connie's Theme, which sounds very calming and very sweet. So um, yeah, that's like, in the background of a couple things. I like leitmotifs for characters. Yeah, me too. I like it a lot. Um, but really, other than that, just battle music and things like that, there was there was no uh, no songs. Oh, 
So they set us up for two episodes in a row. We had a song. Well, actually, three if you count the pilot. And then we don't get any songs. (laughs) I've mentioned before that I don't try to squeeze blood from a stone or anything and try to make some recipe for every episode. But for this, there was no food except for the popcorn that Onion was eating. And there's no recipe for making popcorn. And it's a fairly straightforward thing to produce. Yes. I did a cute reenactment with some of my toys um, and some popcorn for onion, but it was not really a recipe, even though I put it on my recipe page because it was funny and it had to do with food. So, (laughs) so yeah, there's no food. I don't have anything exciting, really. I can give you some factoids, though. Let's go. So the... um, the people who were responsible for drawing the episode are named Cat Morris and Alith Romanillos. And I'm not 100% sure I'm saying Alith's name right because I've heard it said as Romanillos, but the double L there, I live in Florida and there's a lot of Spanish speakers. So I thought when I saw it, it would be Romanillos, but I've never heard it said by anyone except for a podcast announcer that I'm not 100% sure that she said it right. So who knows? I'm just trusting her. So, you know, that's my disclaimer if I said it wrong. <laughs> But Kat Morris has been on a couple previous episodes and she um, is often credited for doing most of like the, the design and the um, invention of Connie. I was going to say there, my Spanish friends have told me the, the double L also doesn't sound the same in all the Spanish accents and dialects. So oh, mm-hmm. who knows where his name may or may not be from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am not sure. I did. I have had a look at his blog before to try to see, because I, I like to know how to say people's names, yeah. but um, I never did find any clue of how to say it. So I'm assuming it's Romanillos. Um, Aleph is not a really a common um, storyboarder, but you know he's popped up on a few of the early ones, kind of like Rebecca Sugar and Ian and Kat. So some of these early ones are drawn by some of the sort of um, people who are usually more in the background for revisions and producing and stuff like that. So they're on the boards in the beginning. (laughs) So I guess they were still figuring out what the teams were going to be like. Um, So, um, and it's funny, you were, you were talking earlier about even physically kind of that the characters that Steven and Connie were good um, physical uh, opposites of each other. I, I did hear some conversation on probably on another podcast or some interview or something that, uh, and I believe it was Rebecca Sugar talking about the shapes of their faces, even is sort of Stevens kind of puffs out at the bottom. When you look at his profile, yeah. he has like this big chin, his little heart shaped face and Connie's head has like more forehead and you know, her forehead goes right into her nose. She has a prominent nose and her chin is farther back. So it's almost like they fit together. <laughs> kind of cute um yeah i think they also did a pretty good job with connie's design all around mm-hmm. in and of itself too yep yeah and i like the, how she looks yeah and the way she looks and moves kind of tells you about her character too yeah yeah she's she's not really i mean and you can correct me if you feel otherwise because you're more of the, the the trope understanding person but it didn't feel like she fell into a specific like girl character trope at all no no i mean <laughs> I wouldn't say there's no other characters like her, but she's not, so far, she's not, you know, the 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 brains or beauty dichotomy. Right. Is, I mean, I guess they put glasses on her and made her a reader, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And she's a, bit of, she's a bit of a nerd about boats, but we've all got our things. Yep. Seems to be a, an intellectual. She's researching a lot of stuff. 
another related factoid would be that the design of that book cover, it's clearly color-wise and shape-wise looks like Catcher in the Rye. So oh, Connie was reading Catcher in the Rye, which I'm oh, assuming you've probably read that too, right? Oh, a million years ago. I actually really liked it. I don't know if that's a popular answer these days, but it's <laughs> I like that book. <laughs> yeah, but the one I read didn't look like hers. So mine uh-huh. was just a blank red cover. Right. It might have been the cover. Actually, probably mine was too, sort of a burgundy, but it, it must have been like the common cover that the people who designed it, like that they went when they had their school reading list, that's the version that they got. <laughs> um, and uh, it's fun that you uh, you actually mentioned in your recap that she that he wore a helmet when he was about to meet her, because uh, I heard that one of the things that comes back from when they get revisions from, you know, notes from Cartoon Network or from whoever reviews it, they always say things like, put a helmet on Steven. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, let's see, a couple uh, nuts and bolts with uh, Connie is voiced by Grace Rolek. I don't know if you know who that is, but I don't know any other roles she does. I'm sure it's not her only one, but um, I, don't I know wasn't familiar with her before this show. Um, I didn't mention it when Sadie and Lars were introduced, but um, Lars is Matt. Um, what's his name? Matthew McCoy. And you might know um, Sadie is Kate Micucci. Um, she's half of Garfunkel and Oates. Oh, you've seen that. Yes. She's I've the heard of that. Yeah. And she's, I think she's an actress and she's done a bunch of other stuff, but her voice is so recognizable that it's, it's hard to imagine like anything else because it, it kind of sounds the same and the different roles she does. So I'm like, oh, that's her. <laughs> yeah, you get, the, you get the occasional voice actor who is like a long veteran of the craft, but always just sounds exactly like themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, Casey yeah. Kasem. Every, he's done loads and loads of voices. They all just sound like Casey Kasem. <laughs> Yep. 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 Um, what else? Um, they did confirm that they intended Connie to be read as Indian. So that's cool. And see, I think I had one more thing that I was going to say. Oh, um, this is something that people always like point out in the comments of videos and stuff when people are talking about this one, which it's a thing some people notice, some people don't, but I think people would yell at us if I didn't bring it up. (laughs) If you, Notice that Steven takes his takes that uh, globe bracelet out of the fridge. It's actually, um, you can see it in there in the first episode too. The globe bracelet is in there when he gets his cookie cats. So they've already planted that. It's kind of cool that they do that. They've definitely done some thinking ahead. I mean, we've also had Connie in the title sequence for, oh, yeah. what, six episodes before we so much as got a word out of her? Yeah, you know, I, I wonder how far in advance they make these um title sequences i wonder if they do a bunch of the show and then they decide what kind of scene to make or if they do a lot of character planning first and then they can make a title sequence before they even jump into making episodes i really don't know so that is that is trivia i cannot unload on you in my factoids section (laughs) it does work for raising the audience's notice that we go, oh, we've seen her before. So drive past her every week. Yep. Yeah, you didn't have to wait too long for uh, Stephen's dad driving the van in the title sequence. He popped up in episode two. There's still there's still some people. Um, Onion is lurking in that in some of the opening shots. So <laughs> what a weird little kid. 
Um, how do you know if he was a, a, a kid or a creature or a person or what? I cannot confirm or deny any of those things. <laughs> he does look kind of like a troll doll. He does, and he certainly does not seem to have ears. But he's aptly named. He definitely looks like an onion. Yeah, yeah. I figured there's no mystery about how he got that name. Mm-hmm. Yet another person in the show who's named after food. Yeah. <sighs> so we got onion. We got the Fryman characters. Yeah. And um, we don't get any food names for Lars and Sadie, but I swear Lars, his ears look like donuts. <laughs> I know they're supposed to be empty plug holes, but... <laughs> yeah. This is also one of the most distinctive designs of the human characters, too, with his kind of squarish head and, well, the huge yeah. empty plug holes. Yeah, and he doesn't seem to have, like, regular ears above that. It's just the earlobes sticking out of his head. So, But most of the human characters that are presented do have visible ears, so it does make you wonder about Onion. <laughs> Well, that fits with why he couldn't hear them asking for harpoon guns, because mm-hmm. everyone else could hear them through the bubble. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have some merchandise that is related to the show Excellent. to show you. Let's see. Let me do it up cute here. I decided to show you today my little figurines oh. of Stephen and Connie. Oh. This is a whole series called Original Minis, and you put them together. They have a little stand. But the others incorporate a few things with accessories and stuff that I don't necessarily want you to see yet. So these are my little guys. I believe the set of original minis is eight figures, but there's two Stevens and two Garnets for some reason. (laughs) They seem to do that a lot when they market figures, just double up one character, even though there are others who could quite easily fill the slot. Oh, tell me about it. There's so many characters that I would love to see, even, you know, characters that have been there since the beginning that have never gotten a figure. And, you know, then they just keep making the same ones again and again. I I understand why they would always make the main four characters, but, you know, then they'll make a different version of Steven and another different version of Steven. And <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know, I love him. I know he's the star of the show, but he would sell a lot of toys if he would make more. <laughs> Doctor Who merchandise does that a lot, where it's like, here's this character wearing their different shirt when there's many yes. other principles languishing in the realm of unproduction. Yes, exactly. With Stephen, you can't even do that. Because oh. <laughs> it's always the same shirt. <laughs> I guess you could do it with his hoodie. You could do that. I think that would be nice. Connie does wear different clothes, so... Oh. Hmm. Not everyone's bound by cartoon wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And I believe Greg wears different clothes, although I'm not sure if he was wearing different clothes between... I think he was wearing different clothes in Laser Light Cannon versus uh, Cat Fingers. I think he was wearing different bottoms, oh, but right. don't quote me on that. <laughs> she says as we're recording. <laughs> I mostly notice his top half because of that egregious tan line. Yep. Uh, Greg, have you heard of Sunblock? Ooh. I live in the skin cancer capital of the world, so it does make me sort of wince when I see that. Mm. Yeah, yes. Florida is not so great with its record either. So mm. a lot of golf courses here, and people will spend too long on the golf course and not wear sun lotion. And, you know, we get a lot of old guys with cancer on their nose. Yeah, I, I remember a visitor from... 
Canada came here and she said, oh, she'll, I'll be fine. I'll just be out in the sun for a couple of hours oh. in Queensland in summer. And for those who don't know, Queensland is the state which has, is the capital of the skin cancer capital. So yeah. she being used to Canadian weather, which while not always the cliche you see on TV is generally cooler than Australian yes. weather. She went out and came back pretty much lobster covered. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm good for maybe a little less than an hour, but I'll get I'll get burned. I'm very very fair skinned, so I can't I can't do it. I'm not terribly fair skinned, but I do burn easily. So. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you said that uh, you have some Irish blood, right? Yes. Yes. Um, there's a lot of fair skin in that country. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. also got some North African blood, but apparently that didn't boil down to me being protected from the sun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think I really have any genes that can protect me properly. So <laughs> just a white lady mutt. Yeah. I'm about the same when it boils down to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a few Moors and Vikings got busy back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I've just got um, Hungarian, Russian, French, and German. <sighs> so sunburn. <laughs> I can relate. I betcha. Oh, let's see. Uh, I'm out of juice here for subjects to talk about for this episode, unless you have anything to add. No, I think we've I think we've covered it. A lot of it was exploring our new friend. Mm-hmm. And I imagine there's going to be many figurative, if not actual, face palms in her future. <laughs> I so much. I don't uh, know if they're going yeah. to become. A couple, but I think when you're just in that kind of proximity to Stephen, it just happens. You know, I think you're right. I mean, there's a few times just while watching it that you have oh Stephened him. <laughs> <laughs> so you may end up relating to her. <laughs> well, sometimes you kind of relate to that in that your own mind goes as far as Stevens does, but my mind does the next, no, that'd be a silly thing to do step, but Stephen doesn't <laughs> join me on that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he wants to go onto the roller coaster and have the, the roller coaster car break them free. You know, then they'll be free and that's that's all they need. So it doesn't really occur to him that if they were free and then the roller coaster would run them over and they'd be on the track. <laughs> I will say his thought processes saves him this week, getting the monster to chase him and tie itself in knots. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, we didn't talk about that. That was, I guess it's like a cartoony thing that happens a lot with that kind of thing with like snakes on Looney Tunes and stuff like that. But it's pretty solid. I mean, this thing wanted to eat the eat the bracelet. So it wasn't really paying attention to the damage it was doing to itself. Yeah, I don't think it has a lot of higher functions. Yeah, it's quite feral. Mm. But so. another case of sometimes Stephen's impulsiveness does save the day. But sometimes the day needs saving because of Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, it wasn't his fault that uh, that the worm attacked. But, you know, several other things were his fault. But <laughs> even in the sense that the bubble's his fault, it was done not deliberately and also in trying to save Connie. So, yeah, it's not like he was just screwing around as right. occasionally happened. Yes, it's just the ensuing bad ideas that he had for how to get them out that ended up landing them in the sea, which is never a good place to be on when you're stuck underwater in an unpredictable situation. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I think if we've said, oh, we've got to say, we might bid the listeners and viewers farewell until next time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's make that one a wrap. <laughs> Until next time when we're watching what? What is the episode title next time? Oh, Serious Steven. Tune in for Serious Steven. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye, y'all. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not-So-Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not-So-Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash Women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Postploitation, the Ausploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended. of his funky flow. Mm.